0: The word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians five twelve through 21 Paul teaches on the ministry of reconciliation. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us, so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. You know how some days just don't go the way that you're expecting. And uh, just appreciate um, Tim, Beatty, and Jeff this morning. The lights in the kids' ministry weren't working five minutes before the gathering. So they were scrambling, trying to figure things out. And as Jeff opened us this morning, I was sitting there and he said, I was preaching. That was news to me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We're just going to read Genesis to Revelation today, aren't we? Um, The word doesn't return void. (laughs) My my name is Nick. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I get to serve here as one of the pastors. And um, I'm thankful today to be able to fill the pulpit, to be able to share with you, to be able to preach as Pastor Isaiah is out of town. Him and Liz, they went to go meet their new nephew um, as her brother they recently adopted. So we're just thankful that they had a chance to um, go do that. And I'm thankful for a chance to share with you this morning. So we're going to be taking a small pause this morning from our series in the Lord's Prayer. <coughs> However, this pause isn't necessarily irrelevant or completely detached. And last week, Pastor Isaiah taught on Hallowed Be Thy Name. And if you remember, his sermon was a series of questions. And if you haven't had a chance to go listen to that sermon, I highly encourage you to take that time. In fact, I encourage you to go back to our first sermon as this sermon series has been, I think, profitable for all of us and beneficial. And just a really quick side note, as I was preparing this week for this sermon, um, I was just reminded how blessed we are by Pastor Isaiah. I don't know if you guys know this, but Isaiah spends hours each week really meditating and crafting every word for his sermon. And I know preparing a sermon takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of effort, and he is just highly gifted in that area, and I just think each week we are never um, lacking in being fed. We're never lacking in being brought to God's Word, so um, if you get a chance and if you connect with him from week in and week out, just a quick thanks for that time and that preparation that he puts into preparing each week. So this week, um, I take you back to his sermon from when he preached on Hallowed Be Thy Name. And the first question that he asked us is, what do you hallow? The reason he asked this question is, ultimately, what we hallow reveals our idols. And if we rewind to Pastor Isaiah's sermon, hear his words from last week, and he opened us up in his introduction. He said, daily, daily. We attempt to rewrite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be my career, my children, my health, my romance, my comfort. Hallowed be my relationships. Hallowed be the image, my image before others. Hallowed be my money. Hallowed be my reputation. Hallowed be my attractiveness, my smarts, my education. Father in heaven, hallowed be my goals and dreams. So he asked us, what is it that you hallow? Because ultimately he was asking us what we hallow because that reveals our idols. And what we hallow reveals so much about who we are. So this week we're going to take a pause from the Lord's Prayer and the question that we're going to be asking this week may be, may be uncomfortable for you. Maybe it's an unfamiliar question for you. At the very least, I do believe that this question is one that is just a little bit odd, we'll just say. And the question is, who are you becoming? And this question is odd because it is counterintuitive to the family systems and the cultural environments that we have grown up in. I suspect that you can remember at some point, whether it was a parent, maybe it was a teacher... Um, Maybe it was a friend. In fact, I often ask my kids this because I'm always intrigued by their answers. And it is, what do you want to be when you grow up? I work with college students and I like to ask them that question because I'm still trying to figure it out myself, right? Um, And if you're an adult, you know it's a constantly moving target when it comes to what do you want to be. From the earliest years of our lives, we're taught to focus our efforts and our dreams around what we will do for our vocation. Matter of fact, it's tied deeply and ingrained in our cultural society. You graduate from high school and is what are you going to do? Usually, are you going to go get a job? And if you're not going to get a job, you're going to go to college. And if, you're not going, and if you are going to college, people are often asking, what do you want to do one day? Because that will ultimately determine your major. So having an idea of what you want to do is profitable, as it will determine a lot in regards to the direction that you go in. And certainly, um, these questions are good, and work is good. However, from the earliest years of our lives, we begin to shape our, our, our idols and our, um, our voc- around our vocation and our dreams. So today we will shift our gaze and our questions from what do you want to be or do one day to who are you becoming? This mantra has become deeply ingrained to me and to who I am and to my ministry. And while I believe what you do with your life is really important, it is really important in what you do, but who you're becoming is far more important than what you do. Now that is counter cultural in many ways. Nobody ever introduces themselves. Hi, I'm Nick. What's your name? Who are you? Who are you becoming? They ask, what do you do? We do that on Sunday morning when we meet somebody new. What do you do? So deeply ingrained into our our, our cultural moment. Now, I'm not the first to champion this idea or this mantra. The church has been carrying this for over 2,000 years since the church was born in acts through the lens of spiritual formation. And it was really the through the late Dallas Willard that birthed this idea into my life, this vision. And Dallas Willard wrote this. The most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become, because that is what you take into eternity. I believe considering this question for each one of you is crucial for your life, your leadership, and ultimately your view of God. This mantra is not suggesting that work doesn't matter. The scriptures are clear that working and cultivating the garden in the creation account are deeply tied to the way that God has created us. Work is important. However, who you are will ultimately shape what you do and how you do it. The statistics tell us that most college students today will, will change careers multiple times, four to five times. So maybe you're not a college student, but when I look around the room, I see a vast range of people, and I, I've interacted, I've done life with you, and I know many of you are already in a second career in many ways. So what is true is that we will do many things, and what we will take from one, one vocation to another is, is us, it is ourselves. So we're going to be asking the question, who are, you, who are you becoming? And we're going to look at it through three lenses. From old to new, the power of habits, and then Christ's character formed in us. From old to new, and you see this in 2 Corinthians in the passage that Carlos read for us this morning. Um, verses 16 through 17 say, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Hear this, therefore anyone in Christ, that is in Christ is a new create the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here every week you're going to hear us preach about transformation and change about new life and we believe that the life of Christ offers this to us we preach each week that Christ lived a perfect life he died a death that we deserve he was resurrected resurrected and now sits at the right Hand of God. And it is in that, and it is through Christ that we find transformation. And you see, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians understood this. And he understood transformation better than anyone. And we see in Acts 9, we see Paul's transformation story. Acts 1 says, Now Saul, which is Paul, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest. And requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way that were Christians, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he has traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, if you jump to verses 13 through 16, um, you'll hear kind of the outcome of this. Lord Ananias, which was a disciple, says, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to, to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name? But the Lord said to him, "Go for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So in 2 Corinthians 5:17, we see that when Paul says, "Therefore, if anyone in Christ is a new creation, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Paul is proclaiming the very work that God has done in his life. In many respects, Paul was the least likely person to become a Christian. He wasn't just apathetic toward Christianity, he was hostile toward Christianity. Now, I think in our society, um, in at least East Tennessee and in Chattanooga, there is a strong Christian presence, at least cultural Christian, Right? Where most people know of Christ, very few people are completely hostile toward Christians. And very rarely do we see people persecuted for their faith here. It happens from from time to time. But what Paul was experiencing was much different than anything that we will begin to experience. Now, as you're hearing this, you might start to create some dissonance in this transformation story, right? You're like, I've heard about Paul. I've heard about Paul being met by Jesus on his road to Damascus. However, there's some dissonance here for me. And you might say, Nick, my story, my journey coming to Christ can't be compared to, Christ, uh, uh, compared to Paul. Paul's story is supernatural, Many of you might say, I've known Jesus my whole life or known of Jesus my whole life. I can't remember a time I didn't know Jesus. I've been a relatively good person, so I, you know, I've done the right things from time to time. And so you might find dissonance in this transformation story that is supernatural. But here is the truth about salvation, brother and sister. Salvation is always supernatural. Supernatural. And viewing salvation as anything less is ultimately a small view of God. When we view salvation as anything other than supernatural is viewing God as a small God. Whether you are eight or 80 years old, when Christ raises broken people from life to death, it is a miraculous work. It is a miraculous work. However, that dissonance might sit a little bit differently with you. While coming to faith in Christ is a celebration of God's grace, most of us experience the Christian life as maybe being mundane. You understand salvation. You hear that it is supernatural, but your life with Christ lacks anything other than it lacks excitement. It lacks joy. And in many ways, you just feel like you're going through emotion. This mundaneness often is filled with sadness, pain, and suffering as primary experiences of our lives. Some of this is brought on by external circumstances, but for many of us, maybe it's even the weight of our own brokenness. Hey, I get it. I am saved. I am loved. But man, Nick, I'm just doing life and I'm walking along and life is hard and and it is difficult. Like this transformation, it, it isn't something that is a stark contrast for you. I know there's some people in the room that like to do some hiking. Um, I enjoy hiking. I haven't been hiking much over the last couple years just due to life being busy. Um, but really, in East Tennessee, there are two types of hiking that you'll often do. Uh, and I will category, put them in two different categories. One is called valley hiking. So if you go out past Cleveland, out past the Coe River, you got the Benton McKay Trail. And the Bent McKay Trail is really in a valley. So when you're hiking, it is so boring. Unless you're walking right next to the Koei, like, there, there's nothing beautiful about it. You're just walking in the woods by yourself for hours on end. And, oh, I've seen that tree before, two hours ago. I've seen that tree. You're like, man, like, they tell me hiking's supposed to be fun, but you're in a valley, And maybe you know there's mountaintops. Your gaze cannot see above the valley. It cannot see above the tree line in the valley. So you just take one step, then the next step. But there's nothing beautiful about it. There's something else called ridge hiking. So the Appalachian Trail that goes from Georgia up the east coast is on a ridge line. In fact, at one point, the Bent McKay was supposed to be a part of it but those that were um, really tracking out the Appalachian Trail decided they wanted it on ridgelines. Now, it's not a pure ridgeline. You go up and down valleys. But when you're going um, in your ridgeline hiking, there's one spot, if you just want to be introduced to hiking, I tell people about this all the time. It's called Carver's Gap. It's about three hours away from here, and it is some of the most beautiful views of um, uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains couple years ago before the pandemic I went out there with some friends for a friend's birthday and you could literally park at the Tennessee North Carolina border um, and you walk probably a half a mile and you're you're at the ridge and you can see for miles on end mountains it is beautiful so if you're thinking about hey I want to hike one day I would say start there don't start at the Benton McKay because you're going to see the same pine tree 30 times but when we were going we were with a couple of my buddy's friends and one buddy he just did not hike whatsoever, and the only exercise he did was he golfed, and he got in and out of the golf cart, and, and true story. So as we're going, we're like, hey, you see that peak over there, that mountaintop? We're hiking there. He's like, I can do that. That's, there's no problem. Now, if you know anything, is it, there's some deception in the eyes, right? You're like, that's right around the corner, but you go up, you come down, and you go up, you come down, but you can see it the whole time. This guy was dying behind us. I mean, he didn't bring, like, proper shoes. He was probably wearing, like, Sperry's or something, right? And we're going. We're like, we're almost there. He's like, no problem, but it's just a bunch of guys. So, you know, you can't say I'm tired because you're going to get roasted for it. So he just kept going, and we're, we're hiking. And now, I think in some ways, like, when, we, when you're in the valley or a ridgeline hiking, you can see, you can know where you're going, but oftentimes it's much further than you anticipated, right? It is beautiful all around you, but your destination is much further. In reality, I think our our walks with Christ are much like both of these illustrations. A lot of us experience them differently. Some of you are in the valley and you've been told of the beauty of Christ and his transformation. You have been promised this new life, but man, it is just the same ugly pine tree all around you. But you know there's a place, there's a destination. And some of you, you see the beauty of God. You see the beauty of his transformation. But the destination of where you're going is much further than you anticipate. So you don't, you begin to lose sight of the beauty. Or, or the beauty begins to lose its, its um, how it has captivated you. Because all you feel is the pain in your feet. All you feel is the pain in your feet. And that's often like the Christian life. Now, one author says this about sanctification. And sanctification is ultimately just God's continued work in your life and becoming more like Christ. So it's just a big word. (coughs) He says this, Sanctification is a journey, not a destination. The real key is the direction you're heading, not the distance you've traveled or the places you've reached. The direction you're heading so where are you heading? Christ loves us so much, but he has loved us so much to love us exactly where we are. And I love that about Christ. It doesn't matter what background you come from. doesn't matter where you're from. Christ loves you for as you are, but he loves you so much he will not leave you as you are. He is doing a work in your life and he has a plan and a purpose for you. And if the old has passed, and the new is really new, then our life must look different. While the Spirit of God works in us no matter what, God calls us a participation in this journey. So when we talk about who you're becoming, we're going to look at what does our participation look like. And we see this in Philippians 2.12 where it says, Therefore, my, fr- my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in the present, in my presence, but even more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what Paul is saying, work out your salvation. is not that salvation belongs to you, but become more like Christ. So how can we begin to participate in the shaping of who we are? And ultimately, what is the aim of this participation? The power of habits. Now, as we discover our, our participation in God's sanctifying work, we learn that habits help us develop and dictate the direction that we're headed so a few years ago i was having a conversation with a friend that i work with and we were talking about life leadership all of those things and my friend asked me a very profound question they said when did i become a person of character have you ever gotten to a place and wondered how did you arrive um, how did you arrive and maybe this could be good or bad how did i end up here As we discuss this further, we coin, or at least we're pretending to coin this leadership mantra, but it's called the law of the smalls. And this is really, there's a lot of leadership advice out there. There's a lot of things. But for me, when I think and I try to conceptualize my leadership, I think of this law of the smalls. And ultimately, the law of the smalls is saying that your leadership, your character are built on small decisions. In other words, the smallest decisions will determine our direction. One author named James Clear, the author, he wrote a book named Atomic Habits, illustrates the law of the smalls through the domino effect. And if you've ever seen this, it's where one domino pushes over the next domino, and it's a chain reaction. Pretty simple, right? And he says that when you make one change to one behavior, it will activate a chain reaction and cause a shift in related behaviors as well. Now, science supports this in, in many ways. Uh, there was one study in 2012 from Northwestern University that found that when people decrease the amount of stationary time each day, they also re- reduced their fat intake. The participants were never told to eat less fat, but the nutrition, their nutrition habits improved by natural side effect by spending less time on the couch watching television and mindless eating. One habit led to another, and one domino knocked down the next. We were going to show a video of this domino effect, um, but the video is not working. Oh, it's working? It
0: works. Everybody knows about playing with dominoes, but what you may not know is that a domino can knock over another domino which is about one and a half times larger. So, what I have here is a chain of dominoes. Each one is one and a half times larger than the previous one. And the smallest domino is about five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. And I will carefully place it.
1: And there are 13 dominoes. and the largest domino, it weighs about 100 pounds. and is more than a meter
0: tall. Ready? That was 13 dominoes. If I had 29 dominoes, the last domino would be as tall as the Empire State
1: Building. So many of our habits and routines that make up our daily lives are related to one another, and the domino effect illustrates this. There's an astounding, maybe interconnectedness between the systems of life and human behavior is no exception. The inherent relatedness of these things is a core reason why choices in one area of life can lead to surprising results in other areas, regardless of the plans you make. You see, the domino effect capitalizes on one of the core principles of human behavior, commitment and consistency. The phenomenon is explained as one author suggests that if people want to commit to an idea or a goal even in a very small way, they're more likely to honor that commitment because they now see the idea or goal as being aligned with their self-image. So the domino effect holds true to negative habits as well. It's not that you will ultimately have all good habits by the small decisions. You will find that the habit of checking your phone leads to the habit of clicking on social media notifications, which leads to a habit of browsing social media mindlessly, which leads to another 20 minutes of procrastination. Can anyone relate? It is Sunday, so you just got your update from Apple of how much time you spent on your screen this week. That is a result of a habit. You see, the power of habits also influences your spiritual growth. Listen to these words from a pastor friend of mine. These habits are known as spiritual disciplines, and while countless disciplines exist, I believe that spiritual disciplines can be narrowed into four key spiritual disciplines. Worship, Bible intake, prayer, and community. If you want to see spiritual growth in your lives, then you must engage in these four disciplines or habits. No, the spiritual disciplines are not magical. However, these habits produce change in our lives when we participate in them consistently over an extended period of time. The goal of the Christian life is to be more like Jesus. Therefore, we all should not be happy with where we are today. If we want to grow, we have to build these key stone habits, these spiritual disciplines into our lives. And he says, I will challenge you, look at your life, what do you need to stop? What do you need to start? Whatever it is, make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, make it satisfying, and start today. And Psalm 92, two speaks to this idea of the small habits. To declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Pretty simple, right? There's nothing spectacular or majestic about that. But what this does tell us that there is something about praising God in the morning and the night. Now, me and Rachel have been talking a lot about what we want to see cultivated in the lives of our children. And at the beginning of this year, or at the uh, end of last year, beginning of this year, we said one thing that we hope for this year is that Leah's love for the Word grows this year. Now, God has been working miraculously. Leah's pursuing us, wanting to read all the time. And it was cool, she brought home something from Um, December, where they did like New Year's resolutions, and it was the sweetest thing. Um, She said, my goal for 2023 is to read more, read my Bible more with my mommy. But if we want to see Leah's love for the Word grow, then we need to read to her every night. We need to practice that with her. We need to walk with her. What is it for you? You say that you want to become more like Christ, but you show up to church once a month. You say you want to be a part of God's kingdom, but you're not participating in the local church, which is the primary way that God will push back the gates of hell. So you want to be a part of God's kingdom, but the small habit of showing up for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning may be the first place for you to start. You see, most of us want to reap the benefits of the right decisions, but we don't want to make the right decisions when it is hard, uncomfortable, or goes against our immediate desires. We oftentimes respond to our immediate desires. See, to become the person you desire, you have to be willing to make the small right decisions today. And ultimately, I believe that this is leadership. This is a gospel-centered vision for our lives and our influence on the world for God. Some of you... I know there's going to be an objection and maybe you want to Jesus juke me right this moment. Whoa, what about the Holy Spirit? You sound very workspace, Nick. That's very legalistic. Listen, I recognize the paradox of God's sovereignty and our participation. It is a paradox and it is confusing, but scripture is clear that both are true. And don't take my word for it. Just read the Bible and I believe that this will be highlighted for you. You see, the small decisions that we make in life matter. So we see that the power of habits is the way in which we begin to shape the direction of our life. But what is the aim of those habits for those that are in Christ? Well, I believe the aim for us that are in Christ is what I would like to call this morning character, Christ's character formed in us. Christ's character formed in us. I was mentoring a guy a couple years ago. I'll call him John for this morning. And we were walking, and he asked me a profound question. He said, hey, Nick, hey, will you teach me to be a a good leader to my girlfriend, which he would end up marrying this young lady? I'm like, well, that's a pretty simple question. When I mentor someone, I like to say, hey, what are you hoping to get out of this? Because if you're married, you will know that the majority of conflict or disengagement is unmet expectations, and that happens even when you're mentoring someone. So I thought that was pretty clear and concise, right? So I said, sure absolutely. So he, I proceeded to give him the best advice that anybody could give somebody. So lean in, lean in this morning. I said, Hey, I'm going to give you the best leadership advice I have. And he, he was excited. I said, I want you to study. I want you to embrace, and I want you to memorize Galatians 5, 22 through 23. He seemed a little perplexed and a little disappointed, he grew up in the church. He, he knew about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, through 23 says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I said, man, if you can champion these suckers and you can get this right every time with your soon-to-be spouse, I promise you, you're going to lead her well. You're going to lead her well if you do that. We didn't meet for much longer after that, unfortunately. (laughs) Glad God's word doesn't return void. So once again, Paul the apostle understood the simplicity and the profoundness of Christ's character formed in us. Character formation is an essential and non-negotiable of spiritual formation. You're going to see it here on the screen. I've been working from this, this definition of Christian spiritual formation for years now. Now spiritual formation doesn't matter what you believe, who you believe, we're all being spiritually formed. So we're talking about Christian spiritual formation. And here's the definition, it's on the screen. Christian spiritual formation is the process by which God forms Christ's character in a believer by the ministry of the Spirit in the context of community in accordance with biblical standards. This impro- this process involves the transformation of the whole person in desires, thoughts, and behaviors, in styles of relating with God and others. Such life-changing is manifested in growing love for God and others, a dying to self and living for Christ. Character formation is spiritual formation. The smallest decisions matter. The Apostle Paul told us that he was in pains of childbirth in Galatians 4.19 until Christ's character is formed in us. That was Paul's desire for each one of us. That was his aim for the Christian life. God the Father desires for his adopted children to become more like Jesus. It is that simple. And the ultimate goal of of the Christian spiritual formation is to be conformed in the character of Christ. Whenever I was uh, managing Chick-fil-A in my early 20s, um, th- there was a few things that didn't matter regardless of my position that I really loved doing. One was cutting lemons. Who likes Chick-fil-A lemonade? Yeah? It, it takes a lot of work. Now, Chick-fil-A gotten really smart. They've opened up these factories. They juice it for them, and it's like no cost to the to owners. It's pretty cool. But anyways, so you have like these boxes, and you have like nine or ten of them. So there's a process. You had to wash them. Then you had to cut them all in half, and then you just went at it for hours. <laughs> I lost my first wedding ring doing this. Um, so when you're, go- when you're squeezing lemons, what do you get? Lemon juice. But some of you, let me ask you this question. When the pressure is on you when- at work or whatever it is, when the pressure's being pushed on you, what is it that people get from you? Unfortunately, the last thing they get is Christ. They get everything but. See, the lemon gave lemon juice because it was the very nature of the lemon to produce lemon juice. For you, believer, the very nature and what you're meant to show the world around you is Christ. But that's the last thing that people are getting. You understand this transformation, but you're not, you maybe overcomplicated it. Maybe you've made it more than what it is. The smallest decisions matter. Now I'm going to give you some practical advice that I've adapted, and it's three forces that shape our character. First, the input that we consume. The input that we consume. Reading our Bibles, listening to podcasts, other additional reading can always help, but are you digesting God's Word? Secondly, the relationships that we pursue. Cultivating relationships with fellow believers will be crucial for your growth, and for us in our context, we encourage you, and this is Part of our core practices and be a part of a life group. Pursuing depth in relationship will be transformative for you and for those that we pursue. The input we consume, the relationships that we pursue, and finally, the habits we acquire. These are simply the consistent ways we think, speak, and act in different situations. They are like like they are largely unconscious, which it would which gives them that's why they're so powerful, because we're not even thinking about them anymore both positive and negative. We have things that we're doing that are going to be unconscious, some things that we're going to do that are going to be intentional. But when it comes to following Christ, I believe the smallest decisions are the most important decisions. Now, I know some of you, as you're thinking, I want you to ask this question, who are you becoming? What habits are you participating in? What habits are are you um, cultivating to shape the person that you want to become? Because I know many of you have desires and dreams of vocations, of where you want to be, how much money you want to make one day, and it's very easy to identify the habits that you're taking to achieve those goals. But when you start thinking about the person that you want to be in Christ, what habits are you taking to become that person? Now, this can be maybe discouraging for some, but I believe this call to action is ultimately a commitment to the things that are true and those things that are right. Righteous, things that are true and righteous. And I'm going to end with this story this morning, and this is right from Scripture. Many of you are familiar with the story of Samson in the book of Judges. Samson's story is maybe a lot more like ours when we begin to try to relate to people. It is filled with pride, disobedience, and in Samson's case, a lot of sinful relationships with women. One author says this about Samson. While being publicly humiliated in the temple of the Philistine God, Samson called out to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God. And if you know something about Samson, he was strong and his hair was cut. And when his hair was cut, he lost his strength. So he had no strength. His identity was stripped away from him. The things, his skills, the things that defined him were completely stripped away from him. At that prayer, when he was asking God to strengthen him one last time, Samson's strength is returned to him. And he pushes against the pillars and causing the roof of the temple to fall, crushing everyone underneath it. Samson dies while conquering God's enemies. The narrator sums up the tragic irony like this So, the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed his entire life when he was doing the wrong things. Brothers and sisters, God is gracious. He is kind. Your habits matter. Your small decisions will push you in a direction. But, God, hear this God always provides another opportunity. God always provides another opportunity to direct your path toward him. And the beauty is, there's power in that small decision. When you start making the right decisions and the small decisions, your, your spiritual strength will grow. Your ability to stand firm against sin will grow. Your ability to love others and, and, and consider others more important than yourselves will grow. Now... God is also kind where he always reminds us of how broken we are because our consistency on our best day is pretty terrible, right? That's the paradox of all of this. So our next decision is an opportunity to pursue what is true and what is beautiful. Our next decisions will be an opportunity to pursue what is righteous. Your failures do not define you. Your strengths do not define you. It is who God is in you what defines you, not what you do. At the end of this life, your your vocation, your job, your wealth, all of those things will pass. And what will be the legacy? What will people remember of you? Most likely, they will remember how you treated them. Most likely, they will remember the way that you loved others. Most likely, they will remember what your core values were based on what you prioritized in your life. Brothers and sisters, we should be more concerned with who we're becoming than what we're going to do with our lives. Ultimately, this will shape what we do, how we do it, and our view of God in every, every way. So as we're digging into the Lord's Prayer for the coming weeks, I think this is a great opportunity for us to practice prayer. If you want to become a person that prays without ceasing, Hey, let's study God's word together. Let's, let's practice prayer together. Let's, let's, let's walk alongside one another. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the power of habits. We thank you for the transformation from old to new of what that signifies for us as believers. Father, and we recognize, as I mentioned, the paradox of your sovereignty and our participation something that we don't completely get or understand. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, a theology of mystery is maybe one of the most important theological perspectives that we take. So Father, as we begin to think about our habits and who we want to become, Father, we pray that your spirit works in a mighty way in our lives so our character begins to reflect Christ more evidently in every area of our life. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So each week we take a family meal together and we like to invite you in this way. Let all sinners who are honest and grieved and humbled by their sin, let all that are weak who need their faith to be strengthened,